Thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we are this morning and uh, finishing or con- finishing out chapter 10 actually, moving into chapter 11 this morning as we've been looking through the book of Acts here in these recent weeks. While you're turning there, let me as well, like Wade said, uh, let me just also welcome these students from East Carolina here in our city doing uh, ministry and outreach this week. And uh, you know, it's always a reminder whenever we have mission groups, mission teams in, uh, as we do from time to time, that there are a lot of people in this city to reach with the gospel message of Christ. And so the book of Acts certainly raises the bar, raises the standard for us. And reminding us the need to get the gospel out to those who need to hear. Just because we're living in a state that is a part of the Bible Belt, just because there are churches virtually on every corner, obviously doesn't mean every person has a relationship with Christ. And so stakes are high, and uh, we need to do everything we can to reach people with the gospel starting with the places where God plants us. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we move through chapter 10 and into chapter 11 here in the book of Acts. Just to give you kind of a quick little rundown of our family, uh, my wife Susie and I have three kids. For those of you that are visiting, maybe this is your first or second Sunday or so. We've got three kids. We've got our oldest, Hannah, who is six, Drew, who is three and a half, and then our newest addition, April, who is two months old, just turned two months old this past week. Well, a few weeks ago, just a few weeks after April was born, I was driving Hannah and Drew to school. Hannah to school and Drew to preschool where he goes um, four, three hours a day. And so I was driving them and I kind of took over those responsibilities once April was born and I love it. We do all kind of crazy stuff on the way to school. And so I was driving them to school and on the way there, Drew, the three and a half year old said, he said, dad, where's my backpack? You know, he has this rugged little backpack with his name on it, like every three year old does, right? And, uh, and so I said, I said, it's up, it's up here. It's up front. It's in the front seat. And, uh, he was back in the bed of the truck riding, you know, because you can, I'm just kidding, he wasn't, he was in the truck with me, and, uh, and I said, it's up here, I, you, you can't see it, but it's up here, well, he wanted to, he wanted a visual, he wanted to see it, he, he said, dad, I want to see the backpack, I said, I said, buddy, it's, it's, it's up here, I promise you, it's in the truck, I mean, I'm driving, I didn't want to, like, pick the thing up, it's 400 pounds, you know, and show it to him, he's got all his toys with him that he takes to school with him, and uh, he said, I want to see my backpack, and I said, I promise you, it's up here, you've got to have faith, do you know what faith is? And uh, he said, no. And I said, faith, <laughs> the, the perils of having a pastor as a dad, right? I said, faith means you believe in something even though you can't see it. And then he said the following. He said, like baby? Oh, man. I thought, I've got a theologian riding in the back seat. I'm thinking, here, here, he's putting it all together. He, he's thinking, okay, for nine months, mom carried the baby, right? And you couldn't see the baby, but you believed the baby was there. And then, bam, here's the baby. And that was faith, right? And I'm thinking, this, this is awesome. So I, I get on my cell phone and I call Susie and I said, you'll never believe what just happened on the way to school. I'm driving it and I laid out the whole scenario for her and I explained to her. And then I said, this is what faith is, Drew. And he said, you mean like baby? And I said, yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. And I said, I think he's putting it all together. He's only three years old. And she said, she said, I think what he meant was, he was talking about her name, April Faith, Kale. I said, I think you're right. <laughs> and so he was scheduled to preach this summer, but I've, you know, I've kind of taken him, off, taken him off the schedule. I was going to kind of take a Sunday off and let, let him give it a shot at it in Romans maybe or something. But you know, the, Bible, the Bible is written to sponsor faith. You know, from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the Bible was written to, to sponsor faith in our lives. That, that's why so many questions go unanswered 
In the book of Job, for example, you read in Job, Job had all kinds of questions for God. God never answered most of all of those questions Job asked. God chose not to answer. And the Bible is written to sponsor faith. We cannot know God without faith. We cannot walk with God without faith. Our walk is a walk of faith on this side of eternity, not a walk of sight. We come to God through faith. We, we trust Christ through faith. For by grace are you saved, what? Through faith. Faith is an, in, uh, is an integral element of our walk with God. And the Bible from start to finish was written to sponsor faith in our lives. Now when we get to the book of Acts, what we find here is that it was that same faith that drove these early believers. It wasn't a belief in some ideal. It wasn't any governmental thing. This was faith in the truthfulness of what their Savior, Jesus Christ, had said. Many of them had been eyewitnesses of Christ when he walked this earth. They were there for part of his three and a half years of public ministry. And if they had not walked with him and known him personally, they had come to Christ earlier in the book of Acts and had begun to be a part of the family of God and to walk according to, to the faith that is required for every believer. And so whenever we look in Scripture, and especially as we look in the book of Acts, we see that we have to be faithful to walk with God by faith, but at the same time, He calls us to proclaim Him and to make His name known and to be involved with Him and, and, and with, a, with the ministry of, of spreading the message of the gospel. And we do that by faith, trusting that as we speak, God is going to bless our words, trusting that as we reach out, God is preparing the hearts of people to hear the message of the gospel, that many of them will respond, if not right then and there, somewhere down the road. And so faith is vital to the walk of the Christian. It's vital to the ministry of every single believer. And so what is it that we see here in the book of Acts? As we close out chapter 10, we see the finish of what we started two weeks ago of an interesting encounter between Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and the former disciple, now apostle, Simon Peter. And so let me just recap here the first part of chapter 10. We won't walk back through it. <clears throat> this is from two weeks ago. The message is on our website if you wanted to go back and hear it. But in the first part of chapter 10, what we find here is that a man by the name of Cornelius who is a centurion, he is a Gentile, but he is also a God-fearer, meaning he has embraced the Jewish religion. He hasn't gone as, so far as to embrace the rite of circumcision, but he is a fearer of God. However, he is not a Christian. He is not a believer. He's never given his life to Christ. And so we find here that this centurion ultimately has a visit that, or, that God orchestrates in his life, and he ultimately sends for Simon Peter. Simon Peter is in a city called Joppa. And he sends for Simon Peter to come to him, not even knowing exactly what Simon Peter is going to say, but Cornelius knows God's desire is for, for Simon Peter to come to where he is. And so he does that. He sends for Simon Peter. Simon Peter ultimately chooses to come, but not until he has a vision that God gives him that helps him to understand that the gospel is going to be for all people. The gospel is with no distinction. There is, there is no barrier that keeps us from taking the message of the gospel to those who need to hear. In fact, two weeks ago, we used that as our first principle that we looked at this morning. We're going to add two more to it. And so if you weren't here two weeks ago, let me give you this first principle real quickly. And again, we looked at it two weeks ago. And the principle is this. We must allow no barrier in introducing the gospel to people. We must allow, allow no barrier, whether it be a racial barrier, cultural barrier, even language barriers. Today we have the opportunity to be able to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Language is no barrier in many cases. We must allow no barrier, no matter what that barrier may be. There cannot be any barrier to us taking the gospel to people. Now how do we apply this two weeks ago? For many people it's as simple as a racial barrier. They have certain racial issues in their lives that they really need to let God get a hold of and begin to, to root out of their lives. 
But for some, it's not a racial issue. It may be an issue of some type of discrimination. For example, it may be, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it may be that person in your family who has caused so much harm to you. Maybe it's because of poor decisions they've made. Maybe they have an issue with alcohol or with drugs, and it seems as though your life has been affected to such a degree that you can't even bear the thought of doing anything to introduce Christ to their life because you have so much anger to them. That's a barrier to you taking the gospel. It may be that person in the workplace that just sets you off so easily. And though, no, you would never say you're prejudiced, it's that person that you don't even think about taking the gospel to. Why? Because they irritate you so badly, the last thing you want to do is to talk to them about Christ. It feels a lot better just to sit in your little cubicle or in your office and to just seethe with anger towards them. And so there's a barrier between you and that person in regards to taking the gospel. And so two weeks ago, we saw that principle, that we cannot allow any barriers in regards to introducing the gospel to people. That came from the first part of chapter 10. And so let's pick up this morning in Acts chapter 10, verse 23. We're going to read down through verse 33. Again, we're going to finish the chapter this morning. Eventually, we're going to move into chapter 11. But for this first segment this morning, let's begin in verse 23, read down through verse 33, and we'll introduce the second truth that we'll see this morning. Acts chapter 10, verse 23. Picking up, it says, And so he, Peter, invited them in, And he gave them lodging. These were the folks that Cornelius had sent to bring Peter back to his home. It says, On the next day he got up and he went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Well, on the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell at his feet, and he worshipped him. This is interesting because earlier in the book of Acts, we find that there are people who have, have folks with illnesses in their lives that are bringing the sick people out so that Peter's shadow would just fall upon them. There was this, seemingly, there was this misunderstanding that Peter had some form of a power that he did not possess. Peter was always very quick to give the credit to Christ, that whenever someone was healed, whenever something miraculous happened, Peter was very quick to give credit to Christ for that. But we find here that when Peter enters Cornelius, this God-fearing Gentile, falls at his feet and worships him. Verse 26, but Peter raised him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason you've sent me, sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you, that have, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Principle number two that we see that comes out of this passage is that God often reaches people through people. God often reaches people through people. Now, I understand, excuse me, that in this place today, there may be some that have received Christ in very dramatic fashion. 
You may, like Martin Luther centuries ago, have been sitting, may have been sitting down reading God's Word. There was no other person there but you and God. And He spoke to your heart in such a powerful way, and He caused the words of that page to jump up into your life. And you placed your faith in Christ as a result of just the conviction that came from reading the Word of God. I understand there may be some that are that way. And it wasn't another person who literally led you to Christ. I'd be willing to say there were some who planted seeds along the way. But I think for most of us, we would say, when we came to Christ, God used another person to introduce us to Him. And I'd be willing to say that for most people who are right with God today, and who will be right with God between now and the day that Christ returns, more often than not, it's going to happen whenever God uses people to take the gospel to people. And so that really helps us to see as believers what role we play because God's desire is to use us to make a difference in the lives of our community, to make a difference in the lives of those that are around us. Listen, the greatest work that God wants to do in the life of a person, listen to me, has nothing to do with career. It has nothing to do with wealth. It has nothing to do with marriage. has nothing to do with family. has nothing to do with raising kids, building a name for yourself. Many of those things are important, and yes, God has a plan for those aspects of your life, but those are not the things that carry the primary concern of God. God is most concerned about people coming into a relationship with Himself that is found whenever we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ. That is what God is most concerned with. That is what God desires. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross. He didn't come to die on a cross to make us wealthy or to make us to be successful. He didn't come and die on a cross so that we can uh, 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 just experience the good things of God and have blessings in our life. He came to die on a cross. Why? Because a perfect sacrifice was needed. And there are people that are a stone's throw from this church building that if we step foot off this property within 60 seconds, we can stand eyeball to eyeball looking at people in conversation who have uh, uh, no concept of what it means to have a relationship with God. They've heard some crazy stuff from another person at work, and they may have picked up a little snippet from some, uh, uh, somebody on TV that says one thing or, or someone that says something else, but they have no idea what it truly means to have a relationship with God. And if they don't come to know Christ, they will spend eternity with the weight of sin hanging over them, with the wrath of God poured out upon them, and hell will be their home, not heaven. And we have a mandate of God to proclaim to them in love and with sensitivity that Jesus Christ still saves. And what we find here in this passage as we move through chapter 10 is that God often uses people to reach other people. He reaches people through people. In fact, notice what what happens here. This is just phenomenal to me when it dawned on me what has taken place here. So you kind of get a sense of the scene of what's taking place. Peter comes, he gets to Caesarea, he comes waltzing into the place where Cornelius is, and what he finds here (laughs) is that Cornelius, he's got a ton of people up in his house waiting for Peter to get there. Look at what it says down in verse... uh, Verse 24, it says, On the following day he entered Caesarea, and now Cornelius was waiting for them. He's waiting for Peter to get there. And he had called together his relatives and his close friends. Verse 27 says that there were many people that were assembled there. And it's interesting that even this person who doesn't have a relationship with Christ understands the need to get people under the sound of the preaching of the message of the gospel. And so what he does is he calls together his family, calls together his friends, he calls together those people that don't know Christ, and he gets them all up in his house so that whenever Peter comes, he doesn't even know what Peter's going to say, but he knows whatever he says is of God. And this lost man, this man Cornelius, who had a, had a heart for God but didn't have a relationship with the Savior, does whatever it takes to get people under the sound of Peter's voice so that they can hear a message 
that will change their lives. Look over with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. I want you to notice something here that helps to support this simple truth that God often reaches people through people. I think you know where we're headed with this. That if God reaches people through people in the pages of Acts, in the, book of the, in the books of the New Testament, then I have a, a sneaky suspicion that he still is going to work the same way today. And so notice what it says here in Romans chapter 10. Paul would later write this letter. Many have called the book of Romans the, the treatise of the Christian faith. It, many have said it, it is the one book in the New Testament that really captures the heart of the entire New Testament, the heart of God. And so notice what it says here, Romans chapter, chapter 10. Look down in verse 13. Paul writes, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, what an awesome, what an awesome promise that is. You know, man, I love to be able to talk to people. And whenever I'm sitting there and I'm sharing the gospel and they know they need Christ and, and from everything they've said, I, I understand that they need Christ. It is awesome to be able to come to this verse and say, listen, buddy, you don't have to get your life cleaned up first. You don't have to get this stuff figured out and this stuff figured out. Just come. Just come to Jesus. And when you call upon Christ biblically in repentance and faith, he'll save you and he'll forgive you and he'll make you right with the Father. And so Paul writes, he says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul gets logical here for a second. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And that's not a preacher in a sense of what we think of today. Maybe you could use the word proclaimer, one who proclaims the gospel. It doesn't have to be a pastor. Verse 15, and how will they preach or proclaim unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christian, you, you are a sent person. <laughs> it's not just the professionals. It's not just the guys on TV that are the sent people. It's not just the missionaries like Barry and Lilia, my buddy Jeff in Bangladesh. It's not just those men and women that are the ones that are sent. We, by virtue of our relationship with Christ, are sent people. And I don't share this message as a guilt trip. I'm not motivated much by guilt trips. I am motivated, however, when I can see the big picture that God has, <laughs> God, that God sees. And I just want you to see the big picture. This is not to put a guilt trip on you to make you feel guilty because you haven't shared the gospel ten times this week. I Man, I just want you to understand, according to the pages of the book of Acts, that there is a wide open field of people that are in need of a Savior. And God is already orchestrating behind the scenes pulling things together, working in their hearts, orchestrating circumstances to make them sensitive to the message of the gospel. And in the midst of all that orchestration, what he does is, is that he has a group of people called Christians that are sent people. And he sends us to the people that we need to have something to do with, people that we need to speak into the lives of, people that we need to rub shoulders with. And he plants us there in circles of influence. And just as Cornelius orchestrated, pulled all these people together to hear what Peter would have to say, and we'll see what happened here in just a second. In the same way, God wants to send you into the lives of others that he's working in the midst of as well. For, for, for uh, Cornelius, he had a couple of circles of influence here. He had friends and he had family. And I'd be willing to say that if you look into your life, there as well are circles of influence that you have. You have family members that are in need of a relationship with God that could be reached. You have friends that you know on campus or 
at the, you know, the place where you work out or where, places where you go, places where you hang out, things you like to do, golfing buddies, whatever it may be. You've got friends that God has placed in your life to come to a relationship with Christ. That's a circle of influence. You take that circle out a little wider, you have work associates, people that you rub shoulders with in the workplace, some that you know to a small degree, others that you know very well. You've been together for years, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. You take it out a little wider, you've got your neighborhood, your community, where you live, where God's planted you. We live on on castaway place, not because it's a place that we chose to live. Yes, that was an element. God picked that place out, out for us before we did. Why? Because that community needs a missionary. And he puts you on your street. I have a sneaky suspicion. He placed you where you are in your workplace, not just to earn an income, not just to have a nice neighborhood. He put you there as a missionary to make the name of Christ known. For these students on the campus where they are, that's not by accident. Yes, they picked a college, but that's where God wants them to be. And I remember when I was a student at the University of Georgia and understanding that God wanted to use my life to make a difference. And there were far too many people there for me to reach. But there were certain niches of people that I could be able to impact with the message of the gospel. And so God chooses those things for us. Here's what I want to challenge you with before we begin to move on, before the time gets away. Think for just a moment. that it, well, Let me backtrack for a second. My, my friend, I mentioned him earlier, Jeff in Bangladesh. When he moved there 10 years or so years ago, whenever he moved there and he took root there as a missionary, I have a feeling probably for him one of the first things he did was he began to get a, a visual of that area where God had planted him. And he began to look at the people that live there. He began to look at the needs that dotted the landscape of his community where he lives. He began to look at some of the questions that the people had. And he began to formulate in his mind through prayer, Lord, how can I invest my life to reach these people for you? He saw life through the eyes of a missionary. And what we often miss today is the simple fact that we have to look at the places where God sends us through the eyes of a missionary. When was the last time you looked at your street, your community, your, your cul-de-sac, your neighborhood, and you looked at it through the eyes of a missionary to say, what is it that the people here need? What is it that I can provide for them to help them to see their need for a Savior? What is it that I can do in my workplace, whether it's to ask permission to do a Bible study before work begins, or whether it's to come up next to a co-worker, invite them to lunch, and to be able to look to, what, to what's going on in their life. What can I do in the places where God has planted me within my circles of influence? How can I look at those people through the eyes of a missionary and ask God to use me to make the message of the gospel known? Man, listen, the problem is not that we don't have enough lost people around us. The problem for most of us is that we're not willing to see them through the eyes of a missionary. And in the pages of Acts, I'll just tell you, somebody asked me a question yesterday, you know, what is the understanding of church? And in the pages of Acts, church was not a place. (laughs) In fact, if I remember correctly from my church history days, I don't even think the first church owned its own building until the third or fourth century. If you talk to these early believers in the book of Acts about church being a place, they would have looked at you like you had three heads. It would have made no sense to them. Church, a place? You're going to church. You're going to the church. Church was not a place for these men and women. It wasn't even on their radar screen. For them, church was, number one, who they were, but number two, it was what they did. They were a collected people that were never called to huddle up in one holy huddle to enjoy the blessings of God to themselves. They knew, they understood, when I come to Jesus Christ, I'm called to go out with the message of the gospel, and they did. They did it like gangbusters, and the world was changed as a result of it. And yet today, in most churches around our country, We're bordered by boundary zones and walls and buildings and 
As I say so often in this book of Acts, we hang the sign that says y'all come and they ain't coming. Why? Because God never intended it to be that way. We are sent people. And the quicker that we can understand that God often reaches people through people, I believe it's the quicker that our own personal ministries and that our lives come to a level that we've never experienced before. And so Peter comes here. This lost man, Cornelius, has a house full of folks that he's invited. And then Peter begins to speak. Look with me there again in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. And notice what Peter begins to say. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. See, God had taught him this lesson earlier in chapter 10. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now notice what Peter said. He has this one opportunity with a captive audience. He's speaking primarily to this man who is a Gentile. He has a heart for God, but he doesn't have a relationship with God. And with his captive audience, what does Peter decide to share? Verse 36, he shares of Jesus Christ, the one who gives peace. Christ, who is Lord of all. Verse 38, he shares that Jesus is, the, is anointed of God the Father. He shares that Jesus is the healer. Verse 39, he says he's the Savior who died to pay, sin, pay for sin. Verse 40, he's the Lord who rose from the dead. Verse 42, he's all-powerful judge of the living, the dead. Verse 43, he's forgive, the forgiver. And in the very beginning of his, uh, of his discourse there, uh, at the very start, verse 34 and verse 35, he reminds them that Jesus Christ is available to every person who comes to him in, forgiveness, or in a repentance and in faith. He knew that only Jesus Christ can give a new start. Only Christ can turn hopelessness to hope. Only Christ can bring life to one who is spiritually dead. He knew that only Jesus Christ can change a life. That's what Peter understood, and it was that message that he proclaimed. And so how do we summarize the third principle, the last one that we look at this morning? The third one is this is that it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes lives. Peter had a small segment of time in which he could speak. And he didn't speak about a lot of the things that we, should have, that, that we typically would speak of. He didn't tell them to come to church. <laughs> Again, they would have no clue what he said, come to church. Where do we do that? Peter didn't stand and opening his mouth say, do better. He didn't say that. He laid out the person of Christ. He laid out Jesus from his own personal experience. He laid out Jesus in truth according to the pages of the Old Testament. 
pictured him as God. He pictured him as Savior. He pictured him as the one who forgives, the one who is the judge of all. And he laid out the, 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 the scenario where these people had to make a decision as to who they were going to trust with their lives. And we find both here in Acts as well as elsewhere that it's only Christ that can change lives. Look at what happens, verse 44, as we begin to close. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter, those were the Jews who'd come to Christ, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. You know, that passage seems a little bit odd. It seems kind of interesting. It sounds, it sounds a little bit different from what we've heard in other places in Acts. But when we understand the book of Acts as a whole, as a transitional book, it begins to make sense. All the way back in Acts chapter 2. We won't go there, and we won't turn the pages there. But in Acts chapter 2, the, the birthday of the church, whenever, whenever uh, the church was put into place, what happened was that, was that you had the believers assembled in Jerusalem, and you had many others there that were assembled from a variety of backgrounds. And you can read of those in chapter 2. And what happened was, was that God moved upon those believers, those Jewish Christians, and he gave them the capacity to share the gospel in other languages. And many from a variety of backgrounds came to Christ that day in Acts chapter 2. You get into Acts chapter 8 and you find that the gospel makes it into Samaria. Philip, the evangelist, takes the gospel there. And those, those folks that were lost in Samaria ultimately begin to come to Christ. And what was it that happens there? you find that the Holy Spirit was given almost as a delay. It's interesting when you read the passage in Acts 8, there is a delay between their belief in Christ and their acceptance of the gospel and the Holy Spirit being given to them. Why is that? It doesn't mean that there's somehow a, you know, a, a delay today. The moment we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. What was going on there? Well, it would appear that it was so that it would be understood by the Jewish believers that these Samaritans had come to Christ and received the Holy Spirit just as they did. And there was a waiting for those Jewish believers to arrive there in Samaria to witness what took place. And when they saw the Holy Spirit come upon those believers, they knew this is of God because we've experienced the same thing. And so now we come to chapter 10 and you find Gentiles, not just Samaritans, but Gentiles. And they come to a relationship with the Savior. They hear the message of the gospel that Peter has proclaimed. They accept these words. They embrace this message. They turn from sin and place their faith in Christ. And the Bible says that they began to speak in tongues, verse 45. It says the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. They began to speak in tongues, verse 46 says. Why is that? It would be evidence for these Jewish believers to see that even the Gentiles have come to Christ. Even they have been filled with the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And it would be evidence for them that they were one body, under one Savior, filled with one Spirit in relationship with the one true living God. And what often happens in churches today is we, uh, churches get so bogged down on this about the speaking in tongues or whatever it is that took place that they miss the fact that the message of this is that there is one Savior and only one can save and only one is able to forgive. And when we come to Him, that same Holy Spirit that dwelt in the lives of these early believers is the same Spirit that dwells in us. And you'll notice at the end of that passage, 
there's a high priority placed on baptism as well. Because as soon as they came to Christ, Peter would order them, it says, to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In chapter 11, it begins to capture just a summary of what took place. If you pick up with me, we'll close reading verses 1 through 18 of chapter 11. It says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, the Jewish believers, took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, there was already the potential for a huge division within the body of Christ because of Gentiles coming to Jesus. Verse 4, But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet, lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it, was observing, and I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, and the wild beasts, and the crawling creatures, and the birds of the air, and I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. See, that's significant. These early Jewish believers needed to know that these Gentiles had come to Christ and received the Holy Spirit just as they had at Pentecost in chapter 2. Peter makes that distinction, verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And at that, we see the stage set for the world to come to Jesus. Just two chapters later, the Apostle Paul would be sent out on his first missionary journey. We find that all four groups of people now in the book of Acts, Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, and God-fearers, are represented in the body of Christ. God was using people to reach people. Why? Because it is a relationship with Christ that changes everything. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you wonder, Brooks, how does this apply then to me? Well, the good news is, is that if you don't have a relationship with Christ today, regardless of your past, regardless of your present, no matter what you've done, no matter how long the list of sin, that Jesus Christ has already died in your place, to satisfy the wrath of God that is due to you and your sin. So that if you choose to turn from your sin today, the Bible calls that repentance. And if you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ by faith, you surrender yourself to Him. You ask Him to come in to take over, to be first in you from this day forward. He'll forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, past, present, future. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you new on the inside. He'll make you right with God. And He'll reserve a place in heaven for you. 
And so the offer today is available for you. If you've never given your life to Christ, right where you sit today, you can invite him in to take over. But if you've made that choice, boy, how God wants us to understand that we are sent people. Is there a place where it's needed to invite people to church? Absolutely, and I hope every one of us do that consistently. Just as Cornelius, so that people can be assembled here to hear the proclamation of the gospel, to rub shoulders with people whose lives have been changed. Yes, there's value in that. But at the same time, he calls us to go out within those circles of influence in our lives and to take the message of Jesus with us. And so, Christian, are you willing to go? It's not in my sin. Are you willing to go? God, we thank you today for the call on our lives. Thank you that in the midst of the needs of this community and of this world, Lord, you send people like us, ordinary, average, normal people whose lives have been radically changed by the Savior. And so, Lord, help us to be people who go. You don't expect us to be evangelists like Billy Graham. You don't expect us to to all be missionaries like those that are called to a, a, a field far away. But, Lord, we are missionaries where you planted us here. And we take the same gospel to people that are just as lost, who are, in the need, who are in need of a Savior that we have. So, Lord, give us boldness. Give us wisdom. And, Lord, may we be found in the fields far more than we're found in the church building. And so, Lord, bless the decisions that are made today that help us to obey you. And, Lord, may we give you the, the praise and the glory when you use lives such as ours to make an eternal difference in another. Lord, bless now this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.